help me right now. Nine one one. It's the lifeline for people experiencing an often life threatening emergency. The Mesa Police Department Communications Department takes on average almost twenty three thousand calls every month. Hi, you need to help your fellow officer. One of your officers is was being attacked by another man, uh, just a regular person. Nine one one emergency. Um, my mom is crying and she called my name and then the walls are empty blood. So who's answering the call when people are most in need? And what does it take to be a 911 call taker? Joining me today is one of our own 911 call takers, Sarah Serrano. Thanks for joining me on Unredacted Stories of the Mesa Police Department. No problem. So, I, I mean, 911. That, that's where it all starts, right? That's kind of what everybody thinks about when, when they think about law enforcement and policing an emergency, right? Yeah. That call to 911. I, my first question for you is, what made you decide to be a 911 call taker? Yeah, it's actually a kind of a cool story. My grandparents actually told me to do it. And after the two year, almost two days after the anniversary of my grandma's passing of two years, the, I saw the post on Facebook and I said, mm, okay, let me try it. I called my grandpa. He's like, let's do it. I got you. And then while I was in training, my grandpa got really sick and I, he actually passed away when I was still in training. But before I was like, I'm going to quit. It's okay. I'm going to come move to Illinois, take care of you. And he goes, no, you need to go back and you need to finish your training and you need to help save people and help people. And that was literally the last conversation I ever had with my grandpa. Wow. So, yeah. So they were really influential they, though, in what they you're knew. doing. Yeah, they knew. And I always wanted to be in law enforcement. I just didn't know what my fit was yet. And then I, you know, molded over, thought, man, I don't think I could do it, you know? And then I said, I'm going to try it. And I've been in love with it ever since. Tell me a little bit about the training. Like, you, you know, you applied and got hired, and what's the process? So the training process is really fantastic, actually. And it starts off with a classroom because you need to learn things, especially if you don't come from a law enforcement background. You know, a lot of this is so new. And you learn codes and how to handle specific situations. You learn the computers and the maps, the hundred blocks of the entire city. <laughs> and then you go onto the floor. And there's different phases. So there's phase A where you kind of listen. You could take calls and the, the call taker's trainer will pair everything. Then there's phase B where there's a little bit more space, but still you're kind of mama bird, baby bird, making sure that everything's okay, parroting every word. And then there's C, you move apart a little bit. You sit a couple computers away from each other to gain that independence. And then there's phase D and the similar thing but you're on the opposite sides of the room of each other and you're supposed to be fully independent and then you take a sign-off test and you get tested throughout the entire process it's very 
intense. When I went over to visit our communication center, it's like a NASA control room in there. Yeah. It is just really constantly busy, constantly computers, maps up, calls being taken all the time. Lots of screens. How do you, how do you focus while you're doing your job? You know, we all kind of have our own different ways of doing it. Some of us will just stare and read other calls and really just stay in the zone the entire time. Um, Some will do things to just kind of have peace between calls like Sudoku or a puzzle. Like they'll do things like that between um, I'm a big crafter, so I'll find something to do. And then you just focus. It's it's almost hard to explain, but you can always tell the second someone gets a call because it immediately becomes the most important priority because you're in it and you just do everything zones out and I guess that's part of my my curiosity here too is that it is such a stressful environment you're talking to people who are having their worst moment they're they're having a crisis and you are the first point of contact yes and and so just tell me like how you work through handling that stress of it yeah and it's really difficult because nothing is ever the same Every call is different. It's impossible to train or teach how to handle everything. So a lot of it is on the spot. Every situation is unique and different. And the best thing that kind of helps all of us, and I think I can speak for all of us when I say it, is we know that the second that call came in, we did everything that we could to get help there. We did the best that we could to make a situation better, whether it be having a cold, calm, even tone, and just being that person's friend or, you know, babysitter sometimes and have to, you know. Or coach. Coach, like, exactly. Because mm-hmm. these situations are so delicate and it's so hard over the phone, right? Because you can't see what's going on. So it's really important that we kind of don't take it home with us. But in that moment, we feel all the feels with them. But we have to put it aside and focus on the task at hand, which is getting help to them as quickly as possible, but also alerting officers so they know exactly what they're walking into. You know, someone had asked me kind of about that in that, what can what can people do? What should people know now if they ever have to call 911? What could help you when they make that call? What, what are some tips that they should know? The most important thing is the address. So, you know, I know the situation at hand is on your mind heavy, but we can handle those details later. The most important thing is I need to know exactly where you're at so we can get help started and then we can figure everything else out as they go. Um, If you're calling from a cell phone, we have pretty good mapping where we can get an idea of where things are at. So another big kind of tip that I have is if you're in a situation where you do not feel safe to talk, do not hang up. Keep an open line because we're trained to listen of what's going on in the background. We can hear if you're in a car, if you're outside. And that helps us, you know, navigate the situation as well as if you're calling from your cell phone, we have the tracking on it. So if you're in a car and it starts moving, we can see where you're going and keep the help steady. But once you hang up, that's gone. Because if we call you back, we lose all of that mapping. We lose all of that. Okay, so really most important tip is try to clearly get your location yes. established and and let people know like when so when somebody calls 911, 
what's the process that you're going through when you pick up that call and, and that first thing out of their mouth is, you know, whatever the emergency is or wherever they are, what is going on on your end? So immediately we're typing in the address and putting in whatever police code fits best with what the person is describing. We confirm if there's any weapons involved, any injuries, because then we can almost judge the severity of what we're responding to or if medics are needed. So we're doing all of that. We're listening to the caller. We're looking at the map just to make sure that everything lines up, that the street and that line up. And then we're following a really good checklist, just making sure to get information as quickly as possible. And then what we do is we type it all up and that gets sent to the other side of the room where the dispatchers sit and they read that to the officers. So it's super important that we're getting this information quickly, but then we also have all these screens in front of us that are different types of maps. And if you're moving, I could say, you know, which Circle K is it? The one on this corner, this corner, this corner. Um, So it's a lot of looking at multiple different screens just to make sure that everything is lining up. Okay. So, and I'm thinking that like, I know a lot of times we'll hear from people and we'll hear on 911 calls when I'm when I'm listening to like recordings and stuff and they've kind of said the address and then you know they're like get someone here get someone here get someone here and and I think people really need to know that that's happening as you're speaking to them and even though you're trying to kind of keep them in conversation that all is happening in the background yes. and and you are putting that information in to get somebody there. The second we have the address. The second we have the address, help is started. And we try really hard to constantly reassure that help is on the way, that the questions are not delaying anything. Because when you're in that moment, three minutes could feel like forever. Right. So we try really hard to, yes, get the information that we need, but also be human and react to their needs how we would want it. We would want to know you know, helps on the way. We're almost there. We're coming lights and sirens. They want to know that, you know, their call is being answered physically. Somebody's going to be there. And are you able to track the timing, how close officers are in in relation to the caller? Yes. So once an officer is assigned, it shows on our call which officers are around. And we have a big map on our screen. Our screens are like giant TVs. And we have a huge map and we can look to see where that officer is and we can give them, all right, we're less than a mile out. We're pulling in right now. We're pulling up right now. They're parking. We can kind of give them a play-by-play to kind of make the time seem shorter. Yeah. Yeah. And just just have somebody there with them throughout the whole process, right? Um, What, do you have any calls that really have stuck with you over the years? How long have you done this? Four years. Four years. Okay, so mm-hmm. four years. In those four years, have you had a call that sticks with you? And Yes. Um, I had a call, and it was a little girl. I think she was six. She was young, and those are always the hard ones. Right, yeah. And she found her mom, and she just said her mom was laying down and had a spoon in her hand. She didn't know any better. I knew mm-hmm. what was going on. Um, in children terms, I tried to confirm if her mother was breathing, and it she wasn't. So then my attention kind of went towards the child at that point. Who's in the house with you? What can we do? Don't interact or touch anything because you never know. Right. 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 And so she had an even younger sister there with her. And, you know, they're confused. They're, they don't understand. Yeah, that's and always hard when they're young kids. Yeah. And oh. so it was, you know, okay, let's 
go sit in the living room, grab your favorite stuffed animal, do this, trying to distract them from the clear trauma that is occurring. And that one was really hard for me because I am a significant part of these children's lives without ever meeting them, never knowing them, but they're never going to forget me. I was there on the worst day of their life. Yeah. And so with how young they were and what they were going through, it, that was a call that was kind of, it, t- it took me a while to get over wondering how they are. How are they doing? Who's taking care of them now? And that's my other, I guess my other question is that because once, once an officer arrives to the scene, kind of your job is done. Correct. And, and it's not really like you can follow up or you're, you're kind of knowing what happens next. Yeah. Very, very little do we find out what happens after the fact. Usually if it's ones that are really intense, traumatic, uh, a supervisor will try to get some sort of follow-up, so then at least we get the closure. A little piece of mind. A little piece a of little closure. Um, so we're not constantly wondering this, that, or the other. But most of the times, no. Most of the times, the second we hang up on that domestic, we don't know what happens. We could see if somebody got arrested or something, but once that call is closed, we're completely separated from it. Any sort of report or follow-up that comes after the fact, we don't have access to, and we don't know what happens. So a lot of it is kind of left to your imagination, and I think all of us try to make a better scenario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what um, what are some of the kind of more offbeat calls that you've gotten? So many, so many. A lot of costumes, a lot of nudity, you know, you would think, I work in the morning, you would think that there's not as many shenanigans going on at 5 <laughs> o'clock in the morning, but there really is. Shenanigans is one of my favorite words, by the <laughs> way. Something about that word. Mine is there's always shenanigans and tomfoolery going on. But, yeah. There's always something. But there's some that, I, I had a trainee once, and she said, you know, I, I, I got this, you know, because I'm, I'm a trainer as well. So, and it was, there's a person walking down the street, and they're carrying a baby zebra, and they look like they're struggling. And like, she kind of looked at me like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, I mean, of course you would be struggling. I feel like a baby zebra would be heavy. There's, there's nothing in the handbook for a baby zebra. Yeah, they, you know, they missed the mark on the policy and yeah, procedure for, I guess the, so, for, the, for baby the baby zebra. zebras. Um so yeah, it's ones like that where you're just like, clearly somebody needs help, but man, what am I going to give them, you know? Have you ever thought that maybe you should write a book? Oh, yeah. The tales of 911 right? should definitely be written. I, I, I think that would be amazing. Yeah. I think that would be an amazing book because I have heard, you know, stories from different friends and, and, and things that work in law enforcement or have done, you know, their time in, in um, communications and uh, sometimes the story is just for me, you know, and I have a news background. So, of course, like the same thing happens in news, right? You get these stories and you're like, what? Right. Like, like how do we get what? from here to here? And, and, and I, you know, I used to come in every day and say nothing surprises me anymore. Just nothing. Nothing surprises right me. Right when you think you've heard it because all. Because I think I've heard it all. Mm-hmm. But Never. a baby zebra walking down the street, maybe not. Maybe, maybe I haven't heard it all yet. <laughs> Not yet. Sometimes they get really good, and you take a second, and you're like, what is happening in my ears right now? Do you get a lot of people that misuse 911? Yeah, it's unfortunate, but also understandable. I think that everybody knows if you need help, you call 911. Right. Um, There's not really clear outlines on 
what, what an emergency what an emergency is, is considered right. yeah. because for you maybe locking your keys in your car is an emergency but for us if it's not life threatening right we triage it so we're not just going to kick someone off we have a really good way of triaging calls to confirm is there any weapons involved any injuries any in person confrontations or threat to harm you, right, or someone else. And if it's not, if it's, you know, minimal parking lot accidents or things like that, we'll triage and get you to the right place. So if it's not necessarily something that's handled on 911 because it's not considered an in-progress life-threatening emergency, we'll get them over to the non-emergency line, which we also answer, and we'll help them then. Yeah, yeah. I think that... um, that's important for people to know. We do have a non-emergency. Yes. Um, where, you know, they can get assistance. Um, but 911 is specific for your life-threatening dire yes. emergency. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. I can imagine that you all working together kind of create each other's support system. Yes. Uh, your coworkers in this environment are crucial. We spend, A, we spend so much time together. We're there spending holidays and everything in between together. We're open 24 hours. Right. Seven so days a week, 24 seven days hours a week, day. every yeah. day. And, you know, for me, for example, I don't have family or like my fiance is not in the law enforcement field. Right. So things that could be super hard on me could be extra hard on him if I went home and vented to him. Yeah. Whereas when you have your peers as a support, they've either probably been through it or something close so right. they can give you better support and reassurance yeah. and understanding they and know understanding what, you know. because sometimes when you talk to someone maybe that hasn't dealt with a call like a situation like that or a job experience like that they get stuck on the what happened the not and think oh my gosh that is the worst thing I've ever heard and not the well I feel this way because of this you know yeah And whether it be like maybe my comments were as clear as I wanted them to be and I just feel really terrible about it. They're like, well, but this happened. That's what's hurting me is I wanted things to be better. I wanted to do better. And so our peers, we have a really good group and we've become family. We eat, you know, bring each other a lot of food and we just, you know. Bond. Bond. You know, we sit in our pods together. We spend 10, 12, sometimes 14-hour days sitting next to the same person, you're going to get close with them, and you're going to, you know, realize that they, they're they your rock yeah. during this. What do you do? It is such, um, we talked before about just kind of that stressful in-the-moment, you know, job that you have. What do you do to de-stress? Like, what kind of things do you do on your off time or in between? Yeah, so I... I'm a big crafter. I love that. And that's something that is a really good distraction for me because it's something I get to be creative and kind of do whatever I want. Uh, trash reality TV is also great. Yeah. Um, a lot of us, we just need a nap. Yeah. There will be sometimes I come home on the weekend and, the, you know, the kiddo and the man is playing and want to have a good time. And I'm like, I just need like an hour, you know, and yeah. just doing that kind of stuff. Retail therapy, manicures, pedicures. Oh, yeah, those are the best. And just leaving the job at work. That's the most right. important thing. And, it, and that's hard for some people. Yeah. I think that's really difficult to do and to be to master that, to kind of 
know that, you know what, I did my job, I did it well, I'm leaving it at the door, and now I'm going to do me. I'm going to do things for me. Because if you don't, you'll burn out. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we do have to take care of our mental and physical, emotional health, because if we're not 100%, then how are we supposed to help people at 100%? Right. And it's funny you said about, like, you know, reality trash TV. And, you know, when I worked in news, it was stressful, too. And we would have some really horrible days. And I would come home and put I Love Lucy on. There you go. And my husband would go, why are you watching this? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just mindless Exactly. It's just is you don't have to pay attention to a plot or a twist or a romance. And it makes me laugh. And exactly, it's just easy. And Mm -hmm. and so it definitely helped kind of take down that tense time. I mean, especially when we have so many people that work graves, and so sometimes people get off three one o'clock in the morning. They have to go home and go to bed after that. Graves is tough. Yes. That is a tough, what, what's your schedule like now? Are you days mostly? I'm days, um, just because that works best for me in my life, but we're there 24 hours. So sometimes people even work 11 PM to 9 AM. That is a grave shift that we have over on dispatch and we used to have it on 911 and it's, you know, that's your whole And that's just even added stress on your body too, just to be up at that opposite time Mm -hmm. you're you're living kind of in opposite world right and if you switch over on your weekends or what have you that's why it's so important to take care of ourselves yeah because you know you're gonna go home and you're gonna go to sleep you want to get a good night's sleep or you're gonna go home cook dinner for your family you want to be there and present in that moment so it's important what kind of advice do you have for people who might think about this as a career it is the most exciting heartbreaking challenging it's got all of the feels right but truly the most rewarding thing I think anybody could ever do because on your own you could answer one to 200 calls a day and if you take into perspective the amount of people you help in one day I mean it's incredible and you just feel so good that you got to help people during truly their most challenging moments people don't call 911 because they're having the best day of their life right and I think I want to emphasize what you just said, like 100 to 200 calls a day. And that doesn't even count entered. And that's just you. Me. And mm-hmm. and so you have a room full of people taking 100 to 200 calls a day. Yes. I mean, that is astounding, the amount, I guess, of just information and things happening in that, that nonstop part of it. Right. Because sometimes a call for service for an officer to respond isn't necessarily the best option. So that's, you know, you're sending people to a different department or you're giving them a different resource or anything. Yeah. Answering a general question. And we talked a little bit about that. You know, we just recently did that video where our part to show our partnership with Solari because that's become a big thing, too, with the mental health calls. It's amazing. If anybody who's listening to this podcast jumps on our social media on our Facebook page we posted that video and uh, it's also on our YouTube channel and it just shows the partnership that our officers and our department have with Solari which is a mental health organization and directing those calls that need it to them for a specialty resource yeah to kind of take the burden off of the police officer where it may not be a criminal act in need of a police officer and it can kind of be directed to a mental health expert. Yeah, they're really great and they can help resource in multiple different ways. You know, 
a crisis doesn't necessarily mean that you're suicidal or having a mental related issue. It could be housing. You know, you're down on your luck and you don't have a place to go. It could be drug or alcohol rehabilitation and they can provide those resources and those answers. If it is something that requires in person to be addressed, they send out an EMT and a therapist to your home. And the wait times are not yeah. never really very long. Yeah. So that relationship that we have with Solari is incredible. Not only has it, I think, reduced the workload of officers that have to respond to calls like that when truly what they need is something more medical, yeah. more somebody to speak to, somebody that specifically deals with just that. What do you think is the key to success for a 911 call taker? Definitely the key to success is to just know you did your best. The key to success, because if you're constantly kicking yourself while you're down and you're reducing your confidence, you're going to burn out. You're not going to be able to help people. You have to stay confident, stay proactive, and just don't get stagnant. That's the biggest thing. If there's a training program, take it. You know, just continue to evolve your craft because it's always going to change. We're going to wrap up, but I really want to thank you for sitting down with us. I, it was so eye-opening to be walked through, you know, your process and, and what you do. And I, I don't think you guys get enough kudos. <sighs> There's not enough praise for you all and what you do every day. And I, I think that you're, you're never the one really in the spotlight when things happen. You're the behind the scenes. And, but such an important piece of this department, the, the heart of it, you know, where it starts. Um, so thank you for what you do. <laughs> you're um, welcome. I think that it's amazing. And I, I love that now you're a coach and you're training new, new people that come in. And anyone who's interested in it should really check it out. Um, like you said, they, you have an extensive, exhaustive training process. So if people so are thinking it. like, oh, I, I don't know if I could do it. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you're not left to your own devices when you walk in the door. So there's a lot of support and there's a lot, a lot to learn, I guess. And throughout the whole thing. Yeah, it's incredible. And it's also a, you know, open door to if maybe you decide I like it, but I want to do something else. You're within the city. You have so many options for you, but you'll like it. Like, you know, pretty much after the first couple weeks, whether it's for you or not. And, for the most part, I mean, we get trainees, they're so excited and they're ready to help people. And that's why we do what we do. Yeah. And we, you know, the hiring process, yeah, it's tough, but it's a lifelong career that you're, you know, helping others and just, you know. Is there anything else that I missed that you want people to know? You know, not really. The biggest thing is we promise we're trying our hardest. I, You know, if sometimes... There's some extra dead air on the line. I'm probably trying to figure out how to put your words into, you know, my words right. or police terms. I promise you we care and we truly want your situation to be figured out, whether it's something that's a civil matter or to 911. I promise you we are trying. We care and we want things to be easier on you and we do the best we can. 
Excellent. Thank you so much. This was a great podcast. Thank you to our listeners. Again, uh, make sure you're following our podcast, Unredacted Stories of the Mesa Police Department. We're on iTunes and Spotify. And, um, you know, we're gonna, we'll touch base again. We'll, we'll do another 911 series. So I think it'd be great. It'll be fun and always different. Yeah, there's always something different. There's right? always something new in Mesa. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. Awesome. This was amazing. Thank you so much.